Well, hey, everyone, and welcome, welcome, welcome. Um, God is a God of new beginnings, which is exciting to think about as we begin a new year. So happy new year to everyone who's joining us from our Abingdon and our Aberdeen campuses, our Edgewood campus, our Mountain Road campus. And if you're joining us online, especially we're so glad you're with us. Welcome, welcome, uh, wherever you might be joining us from. We're starting a new series in this new year today. And I'm kind of excited. We're going to try something kind of fun. I've got some friends. Welcome them out here, if you will, everybody. Come on, you guys. I want you to meet some of my friends. Here they are. Hey. Okay, so, so uh, yeah, you're, you're, you're my friends. We are your friends. I hope you're still my friends in just a few minutes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I don't know how you guys are when you go to the fair or a carnival. Are you the kind of person who likes to test your strength on these kind of things? I mean, I don't even know what you call this, the, the bell dinger thing or whatever, but, but um, you know how it is. It's going to test how strong you are, and I've got three contestants right here who are eager and ready oh. to go. Did you know you were a contestant when I invited you to do this? Well, you know, you never know when Ben calls. All right, this, this is Kristen, and she works with our communications team, and she is gonna. Let's we're just go gonna see. In. We're just gonna see how this goes. Give it a whirl. Woo! Yes, yes. Five and a half. Was that what that was? Looked like it. Five and a half. Not bad. Do you want to try it again? I, I would love to try it again. Let's of course do it. you do. All right. Come on, cheer her on. Here Let's we go, go everybody. Kristen. Here we go. Come on, come on. Here we go. Boom! You got it! 6.257. Yes. Oh, well. Awesome. <laughs> Give it up for Kristen. Well, Good I don't job. know what Good that job. sound was. How would you guys describe that sound? It was like a, kind of like a, I don't know, like a it was plunk. A, a plunk, maybe plunk? even? Like it was a like plunk wee. I mean, yeah. Okay. I mean, right, it was I'll good. Go that, that was good, though. <laughs> it was good. All right, Amber. Amber. All right, let's go. Give it a, give it a whirl. All right. Okay. Kind of got this. Kind of watch, watch the grimace okay. on her face <laughs> if you can see it. I have to pull my hair back. She's serious this. about this. All right, ready? All right, here we go. Oh, look at her. Uh, all right. 6.725. Good. All right, all right. Do you want to better that? Yeah, I do. I you mean, do. if you're going to give me the chance. Okay. Give it a whirl. Here we go. Cheer on. Here we go. Amber number two. Okay. Yep. Oh, boy. So close. Oh, it's so close. So close. Like as close as you could be. I think, um, oh, but no cigar. I guess I don't get a third it's try. No, no, you do not get a third try. Oh, Luke, this would be really how embarrassing would this be <laughs> if you? Uh, let's give let's it a whirl. Go, Everybody, go. get up for Luke. Let's Here we go. go. Luke with many muscles. Okay, oh my goodness. Right. We had no like a we had like a plunk <laughs> wee. We had a doink zing and we had a bam ding a bam right ding. there. I I gotta try this. Yeah, I gotta yeah, try this go. now. You made it look so easy. Wow. Did you use two hands? Uh, <laughs> did, he, did he use two hands? I don't, I don't know. Use the mallet. This is this is like this is a bad moment for me if this doesn't go. But let's give it a whirl. Oh, right, hallelujah. Right. Hey, give it up for our friends. Thanks, guys. See ya. Bye, Good bye, job, bye. everybody. Yeah, so th that's not a huge surprise, is it? I mean, that's kind of how this thing works, right? It's basically a measurement of your muscles. People with little tiny baby or, or weaker muscles are going to get weaker scores than the twos, threes, fours, and fives, and so forth. Medium people, they'll get a little higher. And big, burly, manly men who are here to pump you up, we will get the bell dinger every time, right? That's how this works. I actually have a really serious place I'm going with this, all right? I know you're all dying to, to, to try this thing, um, but if you'll just focus with me for one second, think about this question. If instead of that register there measuring physical strength, if instead of that it measured 
like how high your hope is rising right now. How high would it be for you? You know? How strong is your hope? How strong? Like for some of us, maybe we're just on top of the world and our hope is super strong. We're just filled with it, overflowing with it even. And, you know, you're, you're ringing the bell every day. Maybe for a lot more of us, the truth is that we feel like we've lost some hope along the way. Maybe even recently. Or maybe you're, maybe you're a little baby, baby striker of the mallet today. Where your hope may be in, a, in somebody or some situation. Or even yourself. Or the world. Or the state of things. Or the future itself is really, really small. It, it feels like a really relevant question, doesn't it? For the kind of time we're living through right now. It feels like all around us, the unusual circumstances, like I've never lived through anything the last couple of years. As we round into 2022, it's important to kind of reflect back. And it seems to me that more people than ever are kind of experiencing this like hemorrhage of hope. There's so much discouragement and depletion and sense of defeat and division all around us and things like anger and fear and anxiety. When, when anger and fear and anxiety go up, guys, hope always goes down. And that's exactly what we're seeing. There's, there's so much fear, there's so much frustration and it's all kind of wearing us down a little bit. And you see the symptoms everywhere. I mean, we're reading every day a new study about mental health struggles and suicide rates. Those are just symptoms of a hope problem. And I think I'm seeing even some people that maybe in the past were sort of Luke, you know, bell ringers. Today feel a little more like Kristen or Amber, like uh, I've lost some Hope strength along the way. How strong is, is, is your hope, I wonder? You know, the thing about hope is kind of interesting. By its very nature, hope uh, doesn't need a lot to survive. In fact, just a little tiny thread of hope is sometimes all you need and can still tether you to the, the thing that will get you through. Hope is resilient. As they say, hope springs eternal, right? This is why people keep cheering for sports teams, right? It's why we keep doing it over and over again. May, oh, this is the year. It's like, oh, okay, well, maybe next year because hope keeps springing. It's why young couples keep bringing little babies into the world despite how messed up the world is. Why do we do that? Because of hope. It's what every couple has in their hearts when they walk the aisle and they say, I do before God. It's hope that drives us in those ways. It's at the center of the birth of every business. It's the, the beginning of every friendship. There's hope, and, 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 and dreams are launched with hope. There's a marriage expert that, that um, counsels lots and lots of couples. And he says that when he's working with a, tr a couple, no matter how troubled or messed up they are, he, he doesn't really try to fix them. He says, all I really want to do is help them see about 10% improvement. Just like 10%. Because he knows that if he can get them 
to see that 10% improvement, they're going to taste hope. And once you taste hope, all bets are off. (laughs) There's no telling what might happen when you spark the flames of hope, in this case, in a couple Anything can happen. When we, when we have hope, we, start, we stop looking at the problem and the trouble and the negative, and we start looking up, we start looking out, we start looking ahead, we start looking up to the God with whom the Bible says nothing is impossible. That's what the power of hope is. And hope shows up in some surprising places. It shows up on the sixth floor of St. Mary's Hospital in Rochester, Minnesota. I know that because I've been there many, many, many times. A lot of you may not know. Um, when I was a kid, I, I started doing magic, and I became sort of a semi-professional magician. Did it all through middle school, high school, college, and so forth. Paid a lot of bills with it. But one of the things I, I liked to do was to go to St. Mary's Hospital to the sixth floor of the pediatric unit, pediatric oncology to be specific. And the first time I stepped off that elevator and walked into that room with all those kids wearing my tuxedo, ready to do some tricks, I was kind of shocked and actually a little bit afraid if I was being honest, kind of put off by my feelings about these bald-headed kids with toxic stuff pumped into their arms, wheeled in on their beds. Uh, But I, I came to just cherish those Wednesdays. I went back for once a month for years and years and years. And the reason was I, I found some joy in it, trying to bring some encouragement and hope into a fairly sterile regimen for a lot of these kids. And some of them would be there month after month after month. But what inspired me the most was what you could see in the eyes of some of them. Sense of determination, belief, grit, fight. The spark of life, even though they were surrounded by death. What was I seeing? I was seeing Hope in their eyes. Hope. You can find hope in some strange places like that. You can find hope at a funeral where a a wife buries a husband. Where she's grieving with tears but she's filled at the same time with hope because of their mutual shared conviction about who Jesus Christ is and what he has provided for their future together in eternity. John Ortberg says human beings can survive almost anything. It's true, isn't it? But we cannot outlive hope. Once hope dies, we're dead. It matters how high your hope meter is reading today. Because when hope dies, we're dead. And so here we are in this really weird and interesting time in history when we've all been through so much together, so much disappointment, and life always throws that stuff at us. And here's the problem that so many people in our society are having is that we're still trying to pin our hopes onto things that simply can't bear the weight of it, that can't produce. We're trying to tether our hope to things that, that we hope will come through for us. The, the, we could tell so many stories it, it, right now, couldn't we? about how we're, we're counting on a person or a plan we have or a place or something of that nature that's going to help us. But when it crumbles, we crumble because why? We've pinned our hopes on the wrong thing. Life is so full of disappointments and the things that we hope in always have a way of letting us down every single time. And what we need is 
is something stronger and more stable and secure and rock solid, a kind of hope that is like a fallback hope, the, the sort of ultimate foundational hope that can never be shaken or taken or, or removed from us, an ultimate hope that is immovable. And there is only one hope like that. And hope has a name, and his name is Jesus Christ. God is our unshakable hope unshakable hope. This is why before Jesus left, he, he tried to tell us all this and prepare us for this and warn us about how things would be. He said it won't always be easy. John chapter 16, he says, I've told you this so that you may have peace in me. Because on earth, guess what? You're going to have many trials and sorrows. Can I get an amen to that? Does anybody have any sort of trials or sorrows in your life? Yes. And Jesus says, I told you so. But it's not the end of the story. Take heart, he says. Why? You can have hope because I've overcome the world. In the world you'll have trouble, but I've overcome the world. There's your hope. You will have un, uh, unshakable hope in the middle of of your trouble. Here's the thing. Here's the reason. Because biblical hope is not about how strong we are. It's about how faithful God is. This is a hugely important point. Biblical hope is not about how strong we are. It's about how faithful God is. That's where real hope is different than this this carnival game where we take the mallet and we muster up our strength and if we happen to be strong that day, we can maybe have a high hope quotient. A lot of people think that's how it works. How strong are we? How, how weak is my faith? How strong is my hope? Guess what? That puts it all on me. And that's the problem that so many people had exposed and revealed that vulnerability of my hope being placed in me and things I could control got exposed during the last couple of years. And when I don't feel very full of faith, when I don't feel very strong, when I feel dumb, inadequate, small, or weak, guess what? Then all of my hope also shrinks and sinks. What you need to catch today is that that is not the kind of hope that Jesus offers us. Jesus wants to offer this unshakable hope, a super strong hope that's not going to be affected by your unfaithfulness, by my unfaithfulness, right? Because we are. We're, we're faithless sometimes. But fortunately, your hope isn't tethered to that. It's not about you and me. Listen, here's the crucial point. Hope and faith, biblically speaking, are only as strong, not as you are, but they're only as strong as the object in which you place your hope and faith. You see? That's how strong your hope or faith is. It's not about you, how much faith I have today, but how strong is the object I say I'm trusting in. That's the measure of our faith. That's the measure of our hope. That's why the advice or the mantra that's so popular today when people say believe in yourself is basically a load of malarkey. 
I mean, of course we have to stop listening to negative talk and be confident and believe who God made us to be. I get all that. But the, the mantra that says believe in yourself is horrible advice because you and I, that's exactly what gets us into the trouble we're in. Some days all we got is a plunk wee at best. If you're putting your faith, to make it clear to you, if you're putting your faith in the Minnesota Vikings, and I really believe this is the year, and they're going to do it, let me tell you, that's just plain stupid. I can speak from experience. They're going to let you down every time. Here's why. They're not that good. They're not that strong. They're not that reliable. They have a porous defense. The only team they can beat is the Pittsburgh Steelers, and everybody knows that anybody can beat the Pittsburgh Steelers. I mean, come on, right? I mean, I'm only kidding. I'm only kidding. Not to get personal there. But you see my point, right? Faith and hope are only as strong as the object in which they're placed. So God doesn't hand you the mallet and say, hey, good luck. Good luck mustering up a lot of faith and hope on your own strength. No, no, no. God is a God of hope who's faithful and true and reliable and strong and he says, you can trust me, what I, who I am, what I have done, what I will do. And it's like God takes the mallet from us and says, I will ring that bell for you every single time. I want to read for you an incredibly strong passage of Scripture that I hope you will just allow to kind of wash over you right now. Wherever you're, wherever you're gathered right now, maybe with your family in the living room or at one of our campuses today, driving in the car, I don't know. I just, I just hope this powerful statement from Scripture will wash over you today. Here it is from Romans chapter 15, the end of a long series of statements that the Apostle Paul has made. And now he's giving this wish, this blessing, this powerful truth. And this living word comes to us today and it says this, May the God of hope fill you. Picture that. Fill you. With all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Study that. Look at that. Think about that. It reminds us, first of all, that God is a God of hope. He's the source of hope. He's the key to hope. His name is hope. His identity is hope. He's the object of our hope. May that God of hope, whose very nature, who everywhere he goes, he brings hope. He brings living things out of dead things. He brings, he brings new things out of old things. This God of hope, may that God who overflows with hope spill over on you in such a way that it just doesn't touch you but fills you. That you would have such a relationship with God and lean into him that it would fill you. Well, what does God fill us with? Well, he mentions two things. He says, may, first of all, may God fill you with all kinds of joy. People are so sad and down today. So upset and angry and cynical and the world is just a different world than it was even two years ago. Yeah, I hope you're not, but I know many of us have lost some of our joy. But you don't have to live like that. You can, the Bible says you can be filled with all kinds of joy. And he mentions the second thing. He says, may God fill you with peace. What kind of peace? That special peace Jesus said he would give us. The peace that Paul says passes understanding. In other words, it doesn't look like you should have any right now based on how cruddy things look in your life. 
But the piece that passes understanding is like, it's beyond the rational mathematics of it. You should probably be depressed or discouraged or afraid right now, but you're not. You have peace. Why? Because you can have peace in all circumstances. In my whacked out family, in my stressed out job, in my burnt out marriage, in my tired out body, I can still have peace. Whatever's going on the outside, I can still have this abiding sense of peace on the inside because God gives me these things. How is that possible? It tells us because you trust in God. That's where you place your faith, in God. And when you trust in God, not yourself, not your own strength, you hand him the mallet, let him ring the bell, the one who says, I have overcome it all. In that case, the one who says nothing will separate you from me and my love, that's the one who then, this God of hope, fills us with joy, fills us with peace, and guess what the result is? Do the math. Add up God's overflowing joy and peace, and it says the conclusion is you'll be overflowing yourself with hope. That's how you get hope. You trust him. You trust him. you got to trust God. Hebrews 10 thinks it's so important. It says, you got to hold on tight. Hold on unswervingly to this hope we profess. Why? How can I hold on when it's hard? How can I have hope when it looks like everything's going to hell in a handbasket? How can I do it? Well, it tells us you can hold on unswervingly, without letting go. Why? Because the one who promised is faithful. There, there it is. It's not because you're so strong and amazing and such a great Christian. That's why you have so much hope. No, no. It just means you're smart enough to trust God. Because we're weenies, all of us. But God is not. God is faithful. His purposes are always going to be accomplished. It will never be thwarted. He's always good. He's always true. He's always there. He always has been. He always will be. So if your meter is running low today, don't be down on yourself. That's maybe part of your problem is you've been relying too much on yourself, trying too hard to believe in yourself. You're not, the Bible never asks you to believe in yourself. It says trust in God. And if we can just admit sometimes that we're discouraged, a little defeated, deflated, Maybe it'll allow us to humbly acknowledge we've been putting our trust in the wrong objects. And instead, we can be filled with hope. Friends, where we're going with this whole series as we begin the year is the acknowledgement that we live in a time and a place where everyone around us, the people you care about, the people you hang out with, your family members, the people on your block, the people in your neighborhood, because of everything that's gone on, more than ever right now, people desperately need hope. And we as God's people are called to be people of hope. We're called to be hope distributors. That's what we do. The God who overflows with hope gives us his own peace and joy, so we overflow with hope. Why? So we can go into other people, so we can bring the hope. But friends, you cannot share what you do not have. So how high is your hope meter? And instead of trying harder, just trying harder to believe more and to try harder and to be better and to do good and to wait passively for it, maybe we just say, I am going to make a decision that I trust in the God of the ages. 
who sent his son Jesus Christ, who lived and died and rose again. And if he can do that, if he can bring hope out of an empty grave, he can bring hope into my life. And if you have that, now you've got something to share. And that will stop making it so weird to talk with others about hope and about faith because it's going to be so natural to you. Friends, hope, as we're talking about it, is not some, like, flimsy, naive, like, we use hope, like, oh, gee, I hope the Ravens win the Super Bowl. It's like, come on. I hope it doesn't rain on the day of the party. It's like, I mean, it's just like, I hope I win the lottery. I mean, that's not what biblical hope is. Hope, capital H, is strong and big and beautiful and based on who God is, what he has done, and what he is going to do as he brings all things to completion one day. Ultimately, we know the end of the story, where everything is going, and here's the punchline. God wins. Love wins. Light wins. Everything about God wins, and he is in the process now of redeeming and reconciling and restoring all things back to himself. That's why we say this phrase. I love this quote. Hope is the music of that future. You can hear that music, can't you? Can you believe in the future that God has promised for us? Eternity for everyone who claims his name. A restored earth where he makes all things new. Man, can you hear the music of the future? That's, that's the thing that we have, that the kingdom is coming, that one day there will be no pediatrics ward at St. Mary's Hospital. There will be no more divorces. There will be no more pain, sorrow, suffering, tears, tornadoes, shootings, hurricanes, none of it. That's the music of the future. And the answer to that with most people today is, well, it sure doesn't look like that today. Well, of course it doesn't. That's why Jesus said, you're going to have trials and troubles in this world. Of course it doesn't look like that today. It doesn't look like that. A lot of the last two years hasn't looked like that. I'll tell you what a Christian is. A Christian is someone who, despite all the noise and the din and the cacophony of all the stuff going on, still hears the music of the future and has the courage to dance to it today. Because you say, I'm not going to live by fear. I'm going to live by what? Faith. Faith is the substance of things that I hope for. And I'm going to dance to that music today. And we need more people who are going to rise up this year and live with that kind of faith, that kind of hope, tethered to an eternal, unshakable, immovable God. Now I want to say something about the church. This whole thing gets me a little riled up. I want to get you riled up too. There's a lot of critics today. The church has plenty of critics, and you know we, we got plenty that we need to be criticized about, I'm sure. We all know that. But some people today, they want to say the church is old-fashioned, needs to be relegated to the attic, you know. Our, our days have come and gone. It's just a superstitious sort of thing that needs to, you know, get set aside so we can get on with the progressive modern real world. But, you know, the church through the centuries has been incredibly resilient. When Jesus called together a group of people and then sent them out in his name and gave us his spirit and poured out his spirit on us, you find this incredibly resilient thing called the church that is able to adapt and radically reconfigure itself with an unchangeable core, the same faith, the same hope, but looking different in different contexts and cultures and circumstances. And right now we're in a time where we've got to figure out our world has changed, so how will the church change? Not the irreducible core, but the outward expressions 
That's why we're not looking primarily to the past to figure out how we're going to go back to where we were. We're asking God, what new thing are you doing and how can we be a part of it? Because that's where God is. He's moving out into the future. And this is why, my friends, that the church, despite all the troubles and problems, has not only survived but thrived through the centuries through persecutions, through hardships, through fiascos of our own making, through attacks from the outside, through doctrinal struggle, through, through government trouble, hardship, and yet here we are. And Mountain is one of those churches. We've been around here almost 200 years. Jesus' church has been around for 2,000 years. And when he began it, you know what he said? He says, I'm going to build my church. He didn't say, here's a mallet. You go to work and you build. He says, I'm going to build it. It's my church. And then he promised something. He said, I can give you something that will give you hope. And this is the truth, that the gates of hell will not prevail against my church. That's the church of Jesus Christ, whatever. So you don't have to spend all of your time wringing your hands about how everything is going south, about all the threats to the church and the reasons why the church is going to be squished and erased and everything's just getting awful and worse and worse and worse. There are preachers that will sell you books and preach all day long about how bad and horrible and terrible everything is. And there are real troubles. And we need to get our act together. We need to engage and do some good in the world. But I'm telling you something right now. I'm bullish on the church. And here's why. Because I've watched it for 2,000 years. And Jesus Christ is the hope of the world. And he says, I'm going to build me a church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So I want to be a part of that new community because it's an unstoppable force in this world. Jesus has a church Church doesn't have Jesus. Jesus has a church, and it is his beloved bride. It is his body. He bought it with his blood. It is his beautiful plan A, and there is no plan B, my friend. The church is the hope of the world. I'm not putting my hope in any kind of election, in any kind of pandemic, in any kind of tornado uh, 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 resolution crisis or anything like that. And I'm not going to tell you that the church is going to be irrelevant and get put on the ash heap. Whatever the critics want you to believe, you can bet on the church because Jesus did. And Jesus is alive and well, and he is our hope. So my friend, this needs to bleed into the present moment. My friends Ron and Debbie, a lot of you know them. They've been married for decades, but they almost didn't make it. There was a time several years ago when it was touch and go. They almost threw in the towel. And they'll tell you today that it's a miracle of God's grace because they had lost hope. So many little things had eaten away at their marriage and eroded the trust. The spark of commitment and friendship was gone. But the God of hope began to fill their hearts and overflow on them. And he has restored their marriage. And they have experienced this beautiful revival and this renewal. And that story should get all of our attention, right? Because it's a reminder that the hope we care about is not just something for the distant future when God fixes everything but it bleeds right back into the present moment about what God is doing, not just one day, but today. On this day, in your life, in my life, in this church, in our community, in our world that is so hemorrhaged for hope right now. I remember talking to them about how it happened. 
How did your marriage come around? They said, you know, Joel 2 describes it for us. Joel chapter 2 is that part of the Bible where God's people, Israel, were facing a large sweeping plague of locusts that came through unexpectedly. We, we've had cicadas, you know, but they didn't actually devour things. This, if you can picture the sky blackening with all these locusts coming through, devouring everything in their path. And look at how it describes it and see if it doesn't describe some of our own time even and what people have also experienced. Joel chapter two, first couple of verses. Sound the trumpet in Jerusalem. Raise the alarm on my holy mountain. There's a warning. Let everyone tremble in fear. People were scared because the day of the Lord is upon us. It's a day of darkness and gloom. People were sad. A day of thick clouds and deep blackness. Suddenly like a dawn spreading across the mountains, a great and mighty army appears. It's like an army marching in. Nothing like it has been seen before or will ever be seen again. Anybody said that in the last couple of years? And to go on to the next few verses, it says, ahead of them, the, the land lies as beautiful as the Garden of Eden, but behind them, my goodness, nothing but desolation and not one thing escapes. It's a crazy picture. Look at verses 6 and 7. Fear grips all the people. Every face grows pale with terror. The attackers march like warriors and scale city walls like soldiers. Straightforward they march, never breaking rank. Like this is invading our homes. It's coming into places we never thought. It's affecting everyone. We're thinking about it all the time. Every day it's a series of losses. It sounds a lot like the plague we've all experienced over the last couple of years as well. Not just that we were swarmed with a virus and an illness that has affected uh, us, but, but the the isolation and the frustration and the politics and the tensions and all of it had a way of wearing. And, and I want to ask you, what have the locusts eaten? What have the locusts eaten in their path? This plague that we've experienced. Think of all the graduations and the weddings and the funerals that were so altered or things taken away, vacations, Thanksgiving and Christmas gatherings and Kids' futures forever altered, sports events and the emotional toll, the spiritual toll, the social toll, just all keeps adding up. The spiritual toll, months and months of not being able even to meet together a couple years ago. And then this Joel 2 passage in it, God says, you know what? I don't want to waste this horrible experience. I'm going to use it to call you back to myself. I want to use this experience to call you back to me. Look at verse 11 to 13. The day of the Lord is awesome and terrible. Who can possibly survive? That's why the Lord says, now's a good time to turn to me. Now's a good time to give me your hearts, to come with a sincerity, a fasting, a weeping, a mourning. Return to the Lord your God. And you'll find when you do that God is not an angry, mean Vindictive God, but merciful and compassionate, slow to get angry with his unfailing love. And you begin to see when you turn your heart toward God, placing your trust in him, there's your hope again. And this is what happened in Ron and Debbie's life. It's what needs to happen in all of our lives. When, when, when you wonder, what, what is God going to do? What is God going to do? You, the first thing you do is you, you turn your heart to him. What's going to happen? What's going to happen? Turn your heart toward him. And then he says, you know what? One day the trees are going to be full again. If you turn your hearts to me, you're going to find that the grapes will be on those vines again. The whole fields will be green. Everything will be good. You're not going to be disgraced. I know it looks bleak today. And then he makes this promise in verse 25. He says, in verse 25, he says, I will restore to you the years that the swarming locust has eaten. What the locusts have eaten, I will 
return to you. What have the locusts eaten in your life? Where have you felt hope nibbled away at in such a way that it's not rising very high? As you think about those places and name them and invite God into them, let me remind you that God is at his best in places that feel the worst to us. That's when God's at his absolute best. So wherever you feel that sense of loss, that sense of hope sinking, is precisely where you return to the Lord. For Ron and Debbie, it was their marriage. That's where they had to trust God, and he restored what the locusts have eaten. What is it for you? For years, for my friend Scott, it, it was a, a life of being devoured by the, the plague of addiction, and downward spiral and discouragement, a father wound, financial troubles. But as he turned to the Lord, everything's different today. Just every part of his life, the God of hope came to him. And now he's got this beautiful wife who's on our staff here, and he uses his gift of of uh, real estate work to bless the church and to bless the kingdom of God. His son Owen's going to a Christian college and they're serving the Lord here and he's got a relationship restored with his family and things like that. The things that the locusts have eaten, God is a God of hope and he can restore. And I want to just leave you with this thought that that is happening in this church right now and we can see it, can't we? We can feel it. You can, it's palpable. It's real. What has been lost, God is restoring in new and fresh and creative ways. I'm not going to lie. It's been a tough haul. You talk to pastors all across this country. They will tell you without fail it's been the hardest stretch we've ever been through. You're going to see a whole lot of pastors quitting. Well, we ain't quitting here yet. And I'm not indicting anyone who is. I'm just saying hope is rising. Hope is rising we're not through everything. I get it. But you know what? Hope is rising. God is on the move. And we want to align with where God is already moving. And that's what 2022 is going to look like for us. We're going to be aligning in this important moment as this new vision for God's future emerges for what the new world looks like and how our mission that is unchanging will look with a fresh vision expansion into it. You can feel it at our campuses. You can feel it. You know what? Let me show you a couple of stats. Do you realize that our baptisms are up 80% over last year where they were at this time? You know, that, that's amazing. That's fantastic. Those are new lives. It wasn't that nobody wanted to get baptized last year. It's just that we were all frozen in place. The locusts had eaten our opportunities. And, and Welcome to Mountain, our class where we welcome new people, it's up 17% over where we were last year. That's phenomenal. And, and you know what? First-time guests, people who are like, I'm going to check out God at that church. I'm going to see what might happen in my life. You know what? We've had 863 first-time guests in 2021 that's up over 100% over the year before. We've got more people in groups than we've had ever in the history of this church. What is that telling you? It tells you that hope is rising and God is on the move and we want to get in line with it. So I want to leave you with these thoughts. Friends, first of all, we've got to be filled with hope ourselves. You cannot share what you do not have. So we're going to tether our hope and our faith to God. We're going to listen to the music of the future and we're going to let it give us courage to dance by faith today. Get filled with hope. And then we're going to bring hope to others. And that's what 
2022 is going to be marked by. And over the next few weeks, we're going to unpack some of this. But I just want to encourage you, as you bring the hope, let me just tell you three things that need to happen. Number one, hope bringers pray for people who need God. People who need hope. People who are living with a low meter right now. We need to begin praying. And I want to just encourage you to say, who are, what are the names of the three people that God will place on your heart who need the hope of God. What are their names? Call them to mind. Think and scan your world, your family, your influence circles. What are the names of those three? Because hope bringers pray for people who need hope. You know what else hope bringers do? They pursue people. They they in, they move in toward relationship. They listen. They invite people over. They, they have conversations. They make friends. They're genuine. They're sincere. And sometimes they throw parties and invite people that need hope to it. So, so who are three people that you specifically will invest in and invite? Who will you invite? I'm hoping you will think of three people that you will invite to something at Mountain before Easter. That's three months. Three people, three months. Who is it for you? And hope bringers, finally, they prepare. They prepare a place for people who need hope. You invite people over to your house, you get ready, you prepare. How are you and we all together preparing for what needs to happen to make ready for those that God will bring because he's bringing them and we're just getting on board with what he's already doing. At 863 last year, those people need to be welcomed in, and there's so many more that need hope. My hope, your hope on its own, is small and weak and frail and fragile. So much so if you lose it, it's game over. But God is a God of hope, infinite, unshakable, immovable hope. It's who he is, and it spills over on us through his peace and his joy. So it fills us so you can be not only filled with hope, but a hope bringer by praying and pursuing and preparing the way for others. That's what God's people do. Let's pray. God, thank you for opportunities to open ourselves to be filled with your hope. May we, each one of us, leave this moment more filled with your hope, your joy and peace than when we started. And thank you that it's not up to us to bang a mallet and try to work hard that way, but that you, you, you ring the bell every time because of who you are. And may we live in that hope, and may we bring it and share it boldly and compassionately just as you have with us. We pray it all in the name of Jesus. Amen.